Hey friends, I'm Brad Livingston, lead pastor here at Transformation Church. I want to personally welcome you to our podcast. At TC, we exist to see people transformed from who they are to who God wants them to be. So no matter where you are on your faith journey, I hope today's message inspires you to take one step closer to Christ. Good morning, TC. Let's give it up for everybody that's new today. All those that got baptized, man, congrats. We're so proud of you. And uh, man, God's doing something crazy here and we're just so excited to be a part of it. So turn to your neighbor and say, it's good to be here. Some of y'all are like, I don't even know if I want to be here yet. They tricked me and said we were going to brunch, so I don't know. Like, <laughs> so, Man, uh, we're finishing up Sushi Sex's subtitles today. I know some of you say, oh, I know, this is like your favorite series. But we're finishing up today, and, and um, so I want to talk to you about relationships in a special way. But I remember I was at the zoo not too long ago. Uh, I got duped into going to the zoo with some friends. And so um, we're going to the zoo, and like... How many guys know your favorite animal to go see at the zoo when you go? Anybody know what that is? All right. So uh, I remember going there, and I'll tell you what my favorite animal is to go see. That's the lions. Because I feel like there's something different about a lion. You know what I mean? Like, they know they're not supposed to be in that cage. I know they're not supposed to be in that cage. I'm not convinced that that cage is going to keep them in there. You know what I mean? So, like... I remember I was there, and so we get to the lion exhibit, and they're all just laid down on rocks. And I was like, man, this doesn't quite have the same vigor I was hoping for, you know. And so at that time, one of the zoo workers was coming in, he was getting ready to feed them. And so he's feeding them, so they just kind of like get up, walk over to where they're like, the guy's like literally has a stick, and he's like pushing like steaks or something out like a, a barred window, you know what I mean? Like, and um, so he pushes it out, and I'm like, hey, man, like they seem kind of... You know, when I think of lions, I'm thinking of, like, action Lion King. You know what I'm saying? Like, live action, like, you know. And uh, he was like, no, he's, you know, he's like, once they've been in captivity for a while, you know, they kind of go from, like, this thrival, primitive, like, whatever, pr- like, primal type of mentality to kind of just, like, lethargic and hanging out. And I was like, oh, you know. <laughs> And I would love to say it was, like, all on behalf of the lion. No, it was, like, all on behalf of me. Like, I really wanted to see a lion, like, tear a cage apart, like, <laughs> after I left. So, anyway, so I was there, and so I, I'm in the lions, and it, and it kind of prompted me here recently thinking about relationships. Now, some of you are like, where is this going? Well, let me help you out. I started thinking about how the environments that we put other people in dictate whether or not they can thrive in their relationships or not. And this last message I want to bring to you, it does have a lot to do with marriage, but quite frankly, it just has a lot to do with relationships in general, right? And so the question that I have for you is this, are you creating an environment for your spouse to thrive in or merely survive in? Are you creating an environment for your spouse, for married folks? Now, if you're not married, then think about what you want it to be like, okay? So we're, we're going to lean into marriage a little bit today. Because uh, that's how we're ending the series. Uh, but if you're not married, you can take this towards single. You can take it towards dating. You can even take this towards work relationships or whatever. But here's the question. Are you creating an environment for your spouse to thrive in or merely survive in? And that's the question that I want you to reflect on. Now, this is important because sometimes the way we love each other causes us to show up. Listen, sometimes the way we love each other causes us to show up in a way that we're not creating an environment that our spouse can thrive like a lion. They're kind of just a tamed house kitten. And so what we want to do is look at what are the ways that we can actually show up our spouse. But more importantly, 
what does it look like in the Bible, right? Because today's not just going to be a cool TED Talk, right? We want to look at what the Bible has to say about how we should do this. And I think it's interesting that the key, there are keys to loving others, right? And as we unpack that, the first thing I want to show you, because I think this is what matters the most, is this realization that even Jesus, say Jesus, even Jesus recognized that you don't love everyone the same way. So I want you to look at the person next to you, whether you know them or not. All right? So this might get weird. All right? This was a single service, right? Now say, I love you. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. All right? Look at the person next to you, because I guarantee you the person sitting next to you needs something different out of their relationship than you do. So why is it that every time we show up in a relationship, we show up bringing people what we want rather than recognizing what they need? And when we're dealing with Christian faith, when we're dealing with marriage, when we're just dealing with people, one of the biggest things we can recognize is that people need different things. And Jesus did this better than anybody else. Just to give you a little rundown on these, they're in your notes for you. But first, he established security in people's weakness, right? What does that look like? The woman at the well. Maybe you remember that story. She was at the well, and Jesus comes up and says, can you give me some water? And she says, I don't have anything to give you water with. And he says, well, if you, give me, if you give me water, I'll give you of water, and you'll never thirst again. And many of you know the story, right? And... And she says, oh, you must be a prophet of some kind and blah, blah, blah. And uh, he, he starts talking about her husband. She says, I don't have a husband, right? He's like, you're right. You've had five husbands. And the guy you're living with now isn't your husband either. Full stop. Could you imagine? I'm talking about, like, I'm out. Right? And so... But then what he does is he helps her gain confidence in the fact that everything she thought she knew mattered the most doesn't really matter the most. But he's going to introduce her to what matters the most. Security in her weakness. Did the same thing for the the woman caught in adultery. Many of you know that story. The, The... Religious rulers brought a woman before Jesus and said, we caught her in adultery. The the law says to stone her. And I don't mean recreationally. And so the law says stone her. And so that hit way better than I thought it was going to. Uh, So the law says stone her. That's funny twice if you think about it. Anyway, so some of y'all live that life. Wow. Anyway, sorry. Uh, So... The law says stoner, and, uh, and Jesus looks at him and goes, uh, fair enough. Let the, first one, let the one of you without sin cast the first stone. And we know that they dropped the rocks and they walked away. And then he looks at her with this, with this compassion, and he says, where are your accusers? This is all in the Bible, you know, but I'm, I'm paraphrasing for the sake of time. Where are your accusers? She says, I have none. He says, then neither do I. This is what he says. Neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. He established security in the place that she was the most vulnerable. And that's how he gained her trust. Right? But it's not just that. He also establishes value in the place of insecurity. He establishes value in the place of insecurity. Anybody got some stuff that you wish wasn't part of your life? Any of you got some stuff that maybe you don't even talk to others about, but it kind of causes you to doubt who you are? Jesus establishes value in the places that we're most insecure. And he does this in really powerful ways, uh, the story of Zacchaeus in the Bible. 
where Zacchaeus climbs a tree, right? And he, he, want, he can't see Jesus. He's short. Can't, Jesus is coming, but he knows the crowd's going to block his view. What does he do? He climbs the tree so that he can get a better view of Jesus. This is what Jesus does. This guy's a tax collector. This guy is not in a good spot, all right? Like, quite frankly, everyone else in the community looks down on him. So what does Jesus do? He says, hey, I'm going to go to your house and eat. Could you imagine how quick you'd have to get home to clean that up? You know what I'm saying? I want it to look like no one lives here. Thanks, ladies. All right, so, so what does he do? The very place that Zacchaeus felt like he was inadequate, Jesus speaks to his inadequacy and helps him understand that he is very much adequate. He establishes value in the place of insecurity. The next thing he does, he establishes grace in the midst of failures. Grace in the midst of failures. There's no better person in the Bible we see this in over and over and over than Peter. Because Peter just kind of had everything going wrong all the time, right? But here's the beautiful part about Peter. He always did it to himself. I mean, like everyone else in the Bible is like, oh, I mean, those circumstances are really rough. Peter's like, no, nah, let me build my own boat to sink in. You know what I mean? So, so Peter is constantly there. And, what is, and, and I love how Jesus was just so available. And, and maybe some of you need to grab a hold of this for your own personal life. Every moment that Peter overstepped his bounds, shot off at the mouth, or did something stupid, Jesus didn't chastise him. He let him know he already knew it was going to happen and loved him anyways. And maybe some of you need to come to grips with the reality that if your faith is in Jesus Christ, you can't run too far gone for him not to come back and rescue you. And so he, he establishes grace in the midst of failures. And lastly, he established belonging in their shame. Belonging in their shame. In the midst of shame, how many guys know shame wants to put you in a cause that you never come out of? And Jesus establishes belonging in the midst of shame. When they wanted to run away and hide, Jesus said, no, come out. Adam and Eve in the garden is a prime example of this. This is before grace, but Adam and Eve in the garden, God comes looking for them even after he knew what they did. Right? But Paul is a great example of this even more so. His name was Saul. He was killing and persecuting Christians. And Jesus came after him anyways, saved him, changed his name from Saul to Paul. And he wrote almost half of the New Testament that we read today, right? And I love how Paul, Paul's like, I'm the chief sinner. What, what, something to brag about, you know what I mean? I got buddies that brag like that, but it's from a different spirit, you know what I mean? And so he's like, I'm this, but, but he was reached by Jesus, and then he modeled Jesus. I don't take you to 1 Corinthians 9, 22 and 23, because this is important, and this is what I'm getting to with all of this. Some of you be like, what does this have to do with the relationships? Let me show you. 1 Corinthians 9, 22 and 23. Paul says, after having been rescued from Jesus, I have, been, I have become all things to all people that, I, that by all possible means I might save some. I do all of this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. And what Paul is communicating to us right here is this present reality that everybody is different and needs to be reached differently. Now Paul is communicating this from a gospel perspective. That a lost person needs something different to be communicated to the gospel. This is why street corner preachers aren't very effective, right? The Turner Burn guys, Turner Burn. Okay, like, so that's why these guys aren't very effective because they're taking the same means to every person and it doesn't penetrate the heart. Jesus took different means to every person because he knew how to penetrate their heart. 
the gospel does the work, but sometimes we got to recognize how we communicate differs. And what Paul means by that, just so you know, we'll catch you up on a little bit of Bible trivia for you. What he meant by that is this, when he was around Gentiles, when he was around those that thought with a Western mentality, a, a, a philosophical mindset, when he was around those that spoke Greek, he spoke in ways that Greeks would understand. So he used astrology and other gods to communicate how none of them quite compared to the real God who is Jesus Christ. So Paul was a wizard when it came, well, not, that's a bad analogy. He was, <laughs> he was... He was really good using his words when he understood he was around high philosophy thinkers. But then when he was around those from the East, when he was around Jews, he didn't communicate with philosophy because he knew they didn't buy into it anyways. It didn't matter. So what did he do? He communicated to them with an understanding of heritage and covenant. So he would communicate to them, we are part of a thing, but to be part of this thing moving forward means believing in this person. And so Paul knew how to say every person needs something different and so we recognize that in the gospel. And the beautiful part of that I want you to understand for you is that when Jesus comes on the scene, he comes on the scene in such a way to present something to you that rescues you from yourself. Think about that. Everything you thought you wanted, Jesus is better. Everything you thought you needed, you need Jesus more. And everything you thought was the most valuable, you realize Jesus is more valuable. He's powerful that way, right? But then I think we can take that, and what I want to do for the rest of our time together is show you how that works in relationships too. So we see how it works with the gospel. How does it work in your marriage? Well, let's go there for a second. First thing I want to do is I want to establish roles. We'll go to Ephesians 5. And in Ephesians 5, it kind of gives us a breakdown of what husbands and wives look like. All right? Now, there's always a point in this passage where husbands are like, yeah. All right? We'll get there in a minute. All right, fellas, when you hear it, you can just, yeah, give me, uh, all right, very good. Ephesians 5.21 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. What does that look like? Well, I think it looks like a few things. I think it looks like humility. Because how many guys know to say no to you and yes to Christ took some humility? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So, in other words, have humility, have grace, have compassion, have respect. As a word that is two words that define your marriage, if we were to ask your kids or your neighbors or your best friends, are two words that define your marriage respect and honor? And if not, what over the next few minutes that we're going to bring to the surface could change that it could become that way? Because I think that it should. Because there's two things we absolutely do for Christ and Christ absolutely does for us. And that's honor. I honor my spouse every chance I get. Because I say, you have to listen to everything I say. Is that No, that's not it. Because I love her. And she's a gift that God gave me to cherish, so I honor her. Right? And these things are important. And I will use myself and Ashley today in a few places and analogies just to help you understand a few things. All right? So then it goes on to say, Ephesians 5, 22 through 24. Fellas, this is your chance. <laughs> Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. Uh, I didn't think so. <laughs> I did not think we were going to get any kind of yeah in here at all. No. Yeah. I had a feel, and I was like, let's test these waters. Every husband's like, nope. 
because I got to go home today, and I'm not doing that, right? What do we do with a passage in the Bible that is, I would say, I don't know if I'd say controversial, but at least difficult to grapple with, especially in a society where it doesn't exactly encourage this, right? Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should admit, submit to their husbands and everything. I want to help you ladies understand what's, what this word submission looks like and what it doesn't look like, okay? Some of y'all are like, thank you. We appreciate that. <laughs> submission in this particular text is not a form of weakness. It's a form of meekness. You see, Weakness is a lack of power, but meekness is power under control. So submitting to your husband doesn't mean you don't have an opinion. It doesn't mean you don't have a voice. It doesn't mean you don't have anything to say. What it means is I'm going to give you what I believe is true, but I'm going to trust you that your connection to God is going to lead us well. That's what this looks like. So, so if I can add to the text, which I don't often do, but I feel like this is important for context. It's almost as if verse 25 should come before verse 22, right? And I, we're going to read that in a second. But I want to explain something to you, ladies. Just, can I, just, I just want to help you today. Is that okay? That's why I'm trying to make you laugh a little bit. Thank you. All right, so, and again. Why is this important? Why is this important? All right. It's important to give space for your husband to lead. And ladies, I want you to grab a hold of this. It's important to give space for your husbands to lead for one big reason, right? Because when you both stand before God, God's going to hold your husband accountable for the decisions he made on behalf of both of you. And if every time he had to make a decision, it was a war inside your home, that's going to change how he has to stand before God. And I think we need to be aware of that. But here's the second thing, and I think this one probably hits a little closer to home for you. Is this reality that God's favor follows order? So many of us are praying that our marriages would be better, that our homes would be blessed, that finances would come in. But we're running our homes out of order. Women are leading spiritually. Wives are leading. The wives are waking the husband up for church. The wives are asking the husbands to pray. Wives are asking husbands to do more. Listen to me. You're looking for favor, but you're not following order. And so my encouragement for you today is not to beat up on you. Certainly not. Listen, me and Ashley have gone through our seasons where things were not in the right place. So let me just tell you, life got busy when our son was sick and, and, and he, we were taking care of him. I'll tell you right now, this was a very difficult thing to navigate because you're just exhausted all the time. My, this is an encouragement to you to do a litmus test on where your marriage is and say, all right, where do we get this right again? Okay, so ladies, encourage your husbands to lead you and help them lead you well. All right, but then we go to verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Right, so essentially this is very simple. You ready? Husbands, be willing to die for her. Moving on, all right. But let, let's make sure we're clear on something. This is why I, sometimes I look at the Bible and I'm like, God, why did you write it that way? And he's like, who are you? And I'm like, never mind. All right, so, so 
Because I believe if verse 25 came before verse 22, it would make verse 22 a lot easier, right, ladies? Husbands, love your wives the way Christ loved the church. Now wives, submit to your husbands. Well, here's what I believe the completed picture looks like, if I may. Husbands, if you live a life where you love your wife the way Christ loved the church, it's a lot easier to find a wife that will submit to you the way the church submits to Christ. All right? Let's keep going. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body. I don't think they meant like a mirror thing. I think they meant like, okay, sorry. But they feed and care for their body. Who likes to eat? Come on, there we go. That's what it's talking about. You take care of yourself. I take care of myself. Just as Christ does the church. So let me create a word picture to maybe help you out with this quickly, right? It's hard to say you'll die for her if you won't get off the couch for her. All right. Now we laugh, but it, I'm, I'm serious. I get it. Things are hard. Times are tough. Work is whatever. But listen to me. We've got to love our spouse as well. And, and, and it's hard to say you'll die for someone that you won't date. Okay? And so I think these are present realities. It's hard to say you would let someone kill you for her if you won't even kill your attitude for your marriage. And so I see so many people, it's like, no, I would die for her. Listen, you're not even dying to you. There's no way you would die for her. But here's the beautiful part. This is not me trying to beat up on you as much as it's me trying to help make all of us in this room aware of what it should look like. So that when there's spaces we can change, hey, let's change it. Why? Because even Jesus recognized people needed to be loved differently. So what you need needs to be identified by you, right? We go on, Ephesians 5.33, however each of you... Also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And what this looks like, how many guys have ever seen, my wife watches this show, and it drives me crazy. It's another one of those. Uh, Anybody watch Dancing with the Stars? Okay. No? Great. Uh, This would be a perfect analogy. Um, So, in Dancing with the Stars, essentially there's a pro dancer, they partner him with someone that's never danced before in their life, and they have a competition. It's awesome. All right. But every once in a while, one of the amateur dancers is actually really good. And here's one thing I've noticed, being that I don't watch the show, but occasionally have to step into watching it. There are certain couples, it's so obvious which one is leading. Then there's certain couples that it's so obvious that it's not clear which one is leading. Because they're so in tune with one another that you look at it and go, I'm not really sure who's in charge of that, but I know someone is. And a beautiful marriage should look like a dance where to the public, everyone's going, I'm not sure who's necessarily in charge of this, but I know someone is. And husbands, it should be you. It should look like a beautiful dance where, yes, the husband is taking the lead, but both people get to flourish. That's what great marriage looks like. All right? Now, I want to give you a couple things as we move forward on how this can look for you, all right? I want to identify some design aspects and misconceptions for the next few minutes as to, as to why this can become difficult. 
And I'm going to start with the design aspect because I want to help you understand what God has like woven into your DNA. He's put this in you. And I want to help you understand what that is so that you can understand perhaps why some of the things maybe in your personal life or in your marriage may be getting a little sideways, all right? And so how you're wired. Now, men, say yeah. I think that was, that was right at the right uh, pitch. One time we did that and they were like, yeah. And I was like, I said, men, not boys, all right? <laughs> men, yeah. <laughs> you are wired, listen to me, to be hunters. You are wired to be hunters. Now, I don't necessarily mean like grab your rifle, run into the woods. Although, if that's you, have at it, okay? My J's get dirty out there. I'm not going. I'm not doing it, all right? What I mean by that is this, you were wired for the hunt. I want you to think about your pursuit of your spouse for a second if you're married. If you're not married, I want you to think of probably where you're at right now. There was something in you that was on a search, wasn't you? You were searching for, for physical intimacy, but you were also searching for like a, a connection to someone that could nurture. There was a drive in you to find someone. Why? Because you're on a hunt. And God has put into your very fiber, into your being, this need to find, this need to hunt, this, this pursuit aspect of you, right? Here's the thing that you got to understand about you. When you get married, that drive doesn't go away. So what's inside of you as a hunter now starts looking for something else to hunt. And this is where it gets a little hard in marriage. Because once you've found your prize, you start hunting for something else. And just so we're clear, what are those something else? Well, it could be a lot of things. It could be, a de- it could be multiple degrees because you constantly need something else. It could be constant promotions or a new job always. You look at some men and they just keep bouncing around. For, they're hunting. And quite frankly, for married folks, for some men, it could be another woman. The thing is, is they're wired internally to be on a hunt. Now, this is what I believe God gives us in Ephesians 5, kind of an understanding. He doesn't say these words, but when we look at how men are wired and we look at what Ephesians 5 is telling us, I believe this is something we can kind of put together. What does that look like for a married man to be on the hunt but not pursue things instead of his wife? Because how many guys know, fellas, that can be difficult, right? So what does it look like? Well, what it looks like, I believe, is this, a constant hunt after your ever-changing wife's desires. How many guys know once you, figure, once you think you got your wife figured out? Right? We're going to put ameners on the platform starting next week. Yeah. How many guys know once you think you got your wife figured out, pff, change? Right? Fellas, our, our wives are, are ever-evolving creatures with moving desires and shifting wants. That's okay. That's how God designed them. Chill out. Here's the thing you have to understand. This is important. You should be in a consistent hunt after what the next version of your wife's desires are. Your hunt should be a constant this sounds very, this sounds bad to say it this way, but I'm going to say it this way because, you know, 
which version of my wife am I waking up to today? You're welcome, fellas. You're welcome. I just wouldn't use that in conversations often, all right? So, no, but in all honesty, not from like a weird thing, but like a, but your wife is changing constantly because life is changing her. So there's a constant need to understand, same way Jesus did, people change, and what people need is different than what they needed yesterday or what that other person needs, or even what you need. Now, ladies, your world is also very similar because you're wired a particular way as well. Not for the hunt, but you're wired to nurture, right? So there's something in you that nurtures well. Why? You're built that way. God put that inside of you as a nurturer. Now, some of you may be better at nurturing, but in each one of you is a nurture aspect. Now, just like with men, right, what happens when you're looking for someone to nurture, a relationship to nurture? When you get married, you find that person, and what happens? Now you have a need to nurture something else. So what do you start looking for? Something else to nurture, further education, a bigger move in a job world for you, kids, right? All wives that have children, you can acknowledge that at some point it became hard to love your husband the same way because you were trying to love your kids as well. Am I right? So what does it look like? Well, there's a continued need to learn how to nurture your husband consistently. Why? Because one of the things husbands need is a space to be nurtured. Listen, well, we'll talk about misconceptions in a second. So let me help you out. Wives, what your husband needs is a nurturing space to be vulnerable. That's what he needs. Husbands, what your wives need is security and to be confident. Right? And one of the ways I think you can identify this is come up with a list of non-negotiables in your marriage. This is just a tip. It's not in your notes. I'm giving it to you anyways. Sit down with your spouse or if you're dating, sit down with the person you're dating. If you're engaged, sit down with that person. Come up with a list of the things that you refuse to ever let exist in your home. If a, if a husband needs a hunt and a wife needs a nurturing space, if a husband needs to feel secure and a wife needs security, what do we need? Well, this is what we need. We need to come up with a list of non-negotiables for our home. What do I mean by that? These are things you refuse to ever let be said or done in your home and in your marriage. Now, I use this a lot when I'm counseling couples. One of the reasons I use this a lot is because you'd be shocked at what's in someone's brain that they don't even know exists. So what this looks like is like this. Maybe for your marriage, because again, people need to be loved differently. Maybe for your marriage, what you need out of the gate is to know that your husband will never go get in the car and leave in an argument no matter what. Because it triggers something that happened to you 20 years ago. Husbands, ladies, Maybe what your husbands need in their marriage is to know that the word divorce will never happen in their house. It will never be said. Those are just two examples. I encourage you to sit down and come up with your own list. Why? When you know that the thing that would push you away the most is never an option, vulnerable or vulnerability and security are at a much higher likelihood for you. Does that make sense? I'm going to say it again. You can be vulnerable and you can feel secure if the two things or three things or whatever that you know you never want to be part of your marriage 
are never able to come up because that's what we're looking for. Now, as I end today, I wanted to kind of show you a couple things about misconceptions. We're going to move quickly for the sake of time, but misconceptions. These are wrong viewpoints that distort how we see people, all right? So we're going to move very quickly through these, right? And so the first thing, the first misconception I want you to understand is of a woman. So I, I have a picture I wanted to show you because I believe this is what society, this is kind of how society has painted a picture of a woman and like how we're supposed to view her. I think they have the picture. Go ahead and put it up there, guys. Boom. There it is. All right. So the misconception of a woman is that she's like a flower. And what I mean by that is this. Like she's like delicate, can't be bumped, kind of always on the verge of falling apart. I'm not saying that's what I think. I'm talking about misconceptions. All right. She's pretty. She's good to show off. And that's what a damaged society has kind of established in our brain. The wrong way to view her is delicate, easily damaged, and can't really take care of herself. That's not how we should view women. I also have a picture of men. Misconception of how we view men. Go ahead and put that up there, guys. Some, at some point. It's coming. It's not a flower. There it is. Boom. Fellas, I know you wish. That this was like, I'm a tank, baby. No, stop, stop, stop. The misconception of a husband is that he's bulletproof. He can run over anything that gets in his way, and he's built for war zones. Right? Some of you are like, yeah, no. The wrong way to view your husband is that he's cold and rigid, and few things can hurt him, and few things can stop him. That's not true either. That's, that's definitely not true, actually. So I went on a search. Actually, it's kind of how this whole thing started. Of an image that I think best represents what a marriage looks like. And I got it. It's this last one. Go ahead, guys. Put it on up there for him. I'm glad you made that sound. Because how many guys know they'll tear your face off if they have to? <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like, you're like, oh, unless you were standing in front of it, then it would be like, ah, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, so, but let me help you out for just a second. Husbands, you're the protector of your home and your family. You are the provider and you are the security. Those things are absolutely true. Not because the woman is incapable, but because she isn't designed to be the last line of defense for the family or the home, all right? But wives, at the end of the day, a biblical woman should have a roar. At the end of the day, a biblical wife should have a bite. At the end of the day, she should strike healthy fear into the hearts of her cubs and anyone that's gonna cross her cubs or her husband. If I was sneaking up on a lion, a male lion about to kill it, and a female lion saw it, I wouldn't be like, oh, it's no big deal. That's just the female lion. You know what I'm saying? If I saw a female lion just wandering our parking lot, I wouldn't be like, oh, that's just the woman. Don't worry about it. No, bro, I'm staying inside. That's how people should view you, ladies. Christian women, God on your side, you should walk a little differently. 
You should have some roar in you, some bite in you. Why? Because you're not a flower, you're a lion. Right? The only one that shouldn't fear her should be her husband. And that's because lions know that a lioness isn't plotting behind his back. She's just guarding it when he leads properly. So fellas, as we lead, they guard. So identify the way you can view your spouse correctly so you can love your spouse correctly. I skipped one up there earlier. Sorry for the fill in the blanks. Identify the way God, that God designed you to love and love that way. You were looking for that. My bad. <clears throat> so as I wrap up, I remember we were at the zoo in New Orleans. I remember looking at them, looking at the lions, and they were just kind of like, you know, and I was like, ah, it's not quite. And then we got to the new spot that they were putting, like they were building a new lions thing. It was like an open field. And they had just brought in some new lions. And brother, that lion was like walking the cage wall. Back and forth. I've never felt so insecure a day in my life. But he was just grilling me the whole time. Like, come on, bro, stick your arm through there, see what happens. But he was just, he was moving up and down, just moving. I was like, man. You ever felt like, you ever been in front of somebody that was way bigger than you and you was like, man. Like, I'm a big dude, but that, why? Listen to me. That lion had not forgotten who he was. Unhealthy environments create unhealthy people that create unhealthy marriages. Build a healthy environment where you and your spouse can thrive. Don't create a docile situation where everyone's being pressed down and no one's showing up. Listen to me, show up. Because the gospel needs it, your marriage needs it, everything needs it. Healthy marriages build healthy homes and healthy homes are the foundation of healthy churches. So let's build it together. Amen. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you. God, I pray right now for every marriage that's in. If you're married, just grab your spouse's hand for just a second. If you're at home watching, grab your spouse's hand as well. God, I pray for every marriage that's in here. Father, I pray right now that you would help them thrive. Help us recognize that we have needs, we have designs, and we can step away from misconceptions. That God, you are leading us to understand how you built us. And so how you built us is how we thrive. Jesus, you loved people differently according to their needs. Help us learn to love our spouses according to their needs. And in that, God, I pray that we would have healthy marriages. For those that are single, God, I pray you help build up healthy people. And if the day ever comes that you partner them with a spouse, that they know what a healthy home should look like. Until that day comes, God, I pray, Jesus, you be the rock that holds us all together. That we would look to you to be everything that we need. We thank you today and we love you. In Jesus' name, if you're here today and you know that there's something that's separating you from God, but you need Jesus to step into your life. If that's you, I just want you to pray this prayer with me. Say, dear Jesus, forgive me. I give you my life. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose again from the dead. And I believe you paid for my sins. So I give you my life. Make me 
brand new. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. TC, let's give it up for all those that prayed that perhaps for the first time. Awesome.